let's get down to business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Oh, I make money moves. You can't see me. My time is now. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to the Fitness Times Business Podcast. My name is Joseph Mensel. I am your host. Got a little treat for you guys today. Special guest in today's show, my man, Mike Halusi. Welcome, brother. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me, bro. Man, uh, we uh, we just had a, a, an awesome conversation off camera, and I cannot wait to unpack your story for the listeners and the viewers. I think you guys are going to get, like I said, you guys are in for a treat. You're going to cop so much knowledge out of this episode. Uh, Mike's story uh, is uh, incredible. Just to put it to put it quite simply, um, it's a long one. It is a long one, man. It is a long one. I think you know where we'll start. I'm going to let you introduce yourself because obviously you're a bodybuilder. You know, you can tell that. Well, the viewers, the viewers can tell that if you're Amateur listening to this. Uh, Mike is is a uh, giant man. Uh, he's a super heavyweight bodybuilder in the IFBB. He's uh, two times Queensland overall champion. Uh, but there's a whole lot more to you than just bodybuilding, man. So real quick, just give us a little Kentucky tour of Mike Halusi and then, uh, and then we're going to take a deep dive into your incredible story. Sure, man. Well, I mean, look, I started out bodybuilding, um, six years ago. Um, I'm a father of three. Yeah. I have a, well, as a February nine year old, seven year old and five year old little girl and two boys with my wife T. Uh, we live down in South Melbourne. Um, at the moment I run a, coaching full-time online uh, with my one team. Shout out to the crew, one team. I know they're all watching this, that's for sure. And um, and so, look, we've just spent, I suppose, the last real 10 years um, really trying to build a life, you know, that supports positive energy, you know, for the kids. Um, and for me, I've been lucky enough to be blessed with the opportunity to follow my dream mm. um, and be in bodybuilding. So I've started from a I come from a fairly broken background, you know, with my family and upbringing. Um, I've battled a lot of weight issues um, in my younger days, which has then fueled sort of, um, I suppose, my intensity um, towards my approach to nutrition and training now. So, yeah, look, I mean, um, it, it's been a long, long road, but um, I feel like at the moment we're in a really good spot, you know, in terms of um, um, really trying to, I suppose, look towards the next stage of our life. Mm. Okay. Mm. So you're 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 a father of three. Father of three. You're a husband. Yes. You're a bodybuilder. I would say, in my personal opinion, uh, one of the top amateur bodybuilders in Australia at this point in time. Right, one of the bodybuilders right on the verge of you know Australia's next pro. Procast. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Twenty twenty one. You're also a businessman yeah. and an entrepreneur. And uh, you are really the perfect guest for this podcast <laughs> for Fitness Times Business, man. Listen, I just wanna I wanna start with you mentioned that you've come from a broken family, yeah. And your teenage years, in particular, uh, you know, you had to conquer a, a couple of very significant adversities. I'd just like you to to talk us through that real quick. Yeah. So look, a, a brief rundown because obviously, as with anyone's story. You know, there's a lot, a lot of detail. Okay, but like, if you want like a synopsis, okay, yeah, um, the back cover type type version. Uh, when I was 13 or 12 years old, my parents split, um, and we were one of eight kids, so very split. Um, I didn't see my mum for the next six years. My dad had a basically mental breakdown, so 
from the ages of 13 to almost 17, I was basically working full time. We had a cleaning business. So my life as a 13 year old was essentially go to work about 11 30 night PM. Mm. I drive an old high ace column shifter van to work. The Monash University in Berwick. Mm. I'd clean the whole university by myself. I'd leave about 7.30 a.m. in the morning before the staff arrived. Um, go home, get my little brother and sisters ready for school. I'd drive them to school. I was 13. I'd drive them to school. Um, I'd come back home and I'd walk to the bus stop and I'd catch a bus to school. Um, and they used to catch a – my dad used to pick them up from school, bring them home. But I went to school, did my thing, and i come back home, do some homework, cook them dinner – make sure they did their homework. My dad was just basically clinically depressed, like in a room, did nothing for four or five years. Um, and then I go to bed about sort of nine o'clock, mm. get up 11.30 and do it all again. So, I mean, I got so confident that I used to leave work, or leave the university as a 13-year-old in a highest van, and I go through Macca's drive-thru on the way home <laughs> to get breakfast for my little brothers and sisters. Like, And they'd be looking at me in the drive-thru window like, what's going on here? I'm like... You want the money or not? And I'll pay for it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So that was that was a start. And when I was sixteen, I was jumped and attacked. Um, I spent the next two weeks in a coma. I was stabbed. I was bashed with cricket bats, baseball bats. I lost twenty, thirty percent of my blood at the time. Mm. And um, after that sort of near death experience, I sort of um, wanted to reach out to my mum, who I hadn't seen in a long time. And when I did that, my dad basically kicked me out. Mm. So I was almost seventeen. Now living by myself, I moved to the city, worked multiple jobs. Um, I wasn't allowed to see my little brothers and sisters either, who I'd just raised basically for the last four years. Um, so it was, a, it was a, I suppose, a rough start. Um, we had good times when I was young, I remember mm. the good times, but I suppose those years that I remember the most were the hard ones. Of course. You know? um, and so it was challenging. It was really challenging coming out of that and then you know trying to sort of, I suppose when you're young, you look to your parents to provide yourself with examples on how to be, mm. how to live, how to act, how to love, how to do business, you know, all the things in life. And it's tough when you think back because, you, you know, when you haven't got, you haven't got sort of the memories of your parents teaching you those things um, and you're left to fend for yourself, you know, and yeah. you look to other, I think, influences in life, you know, sometimes the wrong influences, you know, and for me, so I went through rough, rough patches, um, you know, from that, that sort of 16, 17-year-old up to 19-year-old, I had an electric shock. And I was put in a coma for a week from electric shock when I was 19. Almost died again. Started seeing, seeing my mum again at that time. Um, and those were really the, I suppose, the rough years. Mm. That makes sense. Um, and then I met my wife and things changed. Thanks, T. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, uh, you, you mentioned to me as well that coming up as a teenager, you were overweight. Yeah, heavily overweight. Right. And uh, I guess, you know, uh, you can you can tell me if this is true or not, but dealing with that, that sort of trauma and those sorts of multiple traumas at such a young age, you know, where, where do you turn for some sort of um, comfort, some sort of relief, you know? Well, I suppose I was, I was heavily overweight. My youngest memories of, you know, people sitting on top of me in primary school calling me fat, mm-hmm. you know, and poking me and all those, you know, bullying things that happened. Yeah. Um, and so I was the kind of kid where I wouldn't go to a family barbecue, you know, and jump in the pool without wearing clothes, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, yeah. oversized T-shirt, mm-hmm. um, shorts. I wouldn't go to the beach, no way. Mm. Like, you know, showing my body was just like absolutely 
disgust for me. Yeah. You know, and um, I always looked up to like, you know, Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I saw those Rocky, you we know. Got, we got the posters <laughs> behind you. <laughs> and that's, uh, well, that's, what, uh, that's what I saw. That's always what I wanted. Yeah. You know, but um, I suppose deal, not dealing with emotions, mm. eating, you know, eating our emotions. Exactly. Is what I did a lot when I was young because there was no, there was no, you know, manual on how to deal with this sort of stuff. I was at that, at that time, it's literally survival. It's yeah. like, what's going to get me through to tomorrow? What's going to get my brothers and sisters through? Um, and survival instincts kick in. 100%. And so we make decisions not based on, again, what's going to be best for my body composition, you know? Mm. Um, we make decisions on what's going to get us through mentally, emotionally, and physically at yeah. those times. How do you go from that as a, you know, a teenager? Because at that point, you're still a teenager. When you have your electric shock, you're in a coma, and then, you know, early 20s to where you are today. Like, where does that, how does that transition come about? I suppose I peaked at about 136 kilos, like no gym, just Mm. fat, obese. Um, In saying that, like, I know you see some people who are really obese, you think like, wow, Mm. I, I hit it quite well. I was always looked big but I hit it a little bit better, but I was 136 kilos. Like mm. I was morbidly obese. Um, after I sort of, I think that I, I just got sick of feeling like that. I wanted to look better. So I started doing just like a shit ton of cardio, man. Like yeah. I would do crazy amounts of cardio morning, night. Like I'd go to the gym, I'd run 60 minutes and then do weights. Like did everything backwards. Yeah. You know, I didn't even read any magazines to work out what was the best way. I thought green tea was healthy. So I drank, as much green tea as I could. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but I just like, I, I just try to make good decisions and, um, but I'm a very sort of intense guy mm. and people who know me will probably testify that like, um, with that sort of intensity, I'm either all in or just not in at all. Yeah. Okay. And that's almost with everything in life. Um, and so accepting that helps because I think people can be like that, but not accept it. And that's the, leaves them confused, but I accept it now. So I thought that at that stage, if I'm all in or all out, like I'm just going to be all in. Mm. Um, and so rather than yo-yoing up and down, I started just to commit to like eating healthy. And then someone suggested once, well, hey, why don't you do a bodybuilding competition? Because you're strong. I was always strong in the gym. Um, and I did some boxing earlier on, but why don't you give it a go? And so I essentially decided back in 2014 to start training properly. And then pick a show at the end of 2014 to competing. Mm. Um, INBA, Victoria at Mooney Valley. Um, Legend Champions Room, I think it's called. Good there. times, good times. Yeah. <laughs> remember Steve, Steve Fatal won yeah. that show. He's um, had an amazing body back then from, from what I remember. And Scott Goble prepped me for the show. I remember competing. I did a 20-week prep. Um, got down from 100 kilos down to about 80 kilos on stage Yeah, then. I wasn't in like in crazy condition, but I had abs. <laughs> like, yeah. But for the first time in my life, I had abs. Yeah, ever, I had right? abs, so Shit. it was pretty good. But I remember getting backstage and started seeing people take their tops off and um, get the the final bronzer on and whatever else. And I just freaked out. And I said to my wife, I was like, I can't do it. Yeah. And my daughter was there as well, but she was, you know, she was only one or two. Mm. And um, I remember my wife said to me, she said, I didn't put up. For, with 20 weeks of dieting for you to not get up there. So get your clothes off, you get up there. So she forced me up there and I sort of competed once um, then and just fell in love with it. I think I entered three categories. 
And each time I competed, like on stage, I got more confident, more confident. I yeah. didn't win anything, you know, I didn't even get called out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the experience. You love the process. Yeah, I love the process. Yeah. I love the fact that I could control the outcome. Yeah. So I look at a lot of things in life and how I view my body today mm. is it's a, it's a, um, a result of the hard work that I put in. So bodybuilding, for instance, you can't buy it. You can't um, get gifted it. You can't get it handed down from your parents. You can't inherit it. Like you, you can't cheat your way to that. If you, if you're standing there on a stage and you're winning competitions as an example, mm. or you're achieving anything in, in from a, from a purely a, a look standpoint, it has to come from hard work. Yeah. So I love the fact that I could achieve something purely based on the amount of work I was prepared to put in. And, you know, I don't see anything as hard work. It's either you want it or you don't mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So um, there's a process. Things in life are simple, not easy. People often mistake simple and easy. Yeah. Think, oh, because simple must be easy. No, it's a simple process. It's not easy. But I don't need it to be easy. I need it to be worth it. Correct. And for me, achieving those results, um, being able to control something for the first time in my life as well, which is important because throughout my life, when I was younger, like you feel out of control. Mm. I had to go to work at midnight. Otherwise, you know, my, my dad would lose his house. I used to write his invoices. I used to pay the mortgage. Mm. I used to go shopping. And so everything in my life up to that point seems like I made choices based on survival and there was no really control for me. I didn't feel in control at all. Um, but for the first time, I felt like, you know, again, I was getting results for something that I could control. And so I went from 136 kilos down to 80 kilos on stage. So, you know, 56 kilo weight loss there, fat loss. And then I'm back up to 130 kilos now. Um, <laughs> rel- relatively lean. Different for an, body composition yeah, though, mate. for an off season. But. So you, you've gone from, so 2014 was yeah. was that first prep I'm, and, yeah. that, and that first show. Um, a shout out to your first coach, Scotty Goebel. Scott Goebel. Uh, and then you've, you know, you've, just falling in love with yeah. bodybuilding, with the process of the bodybuilding. Process. Like you mentioned, you said you're kind of all in or the you're lifestyle. not in at all. You are all in, right? And then the results as well, right? Because being overweight up until that point in your life, you mentioned for the first time you're seeing your abs, you're looking good, you're feeling a bit more confident. Absolutely. You know, just with your with the way that you're looking aesthetically as well. And then you go, 2015, uh, you attend a camp with Milos Sarsev. Yeah. yeah. Milos. And then Milos, uh, Amazing well, guy, Milos. you guys connect, right? Yeah, and Milos decides to be your coach yep. or you, you ask him engage to be your coach him, yeah. and yeah, yeah. Engage him for his coaching services. And then you step up into the IFBB. Mm-hmm. But once again, you do an IFBB show and you come third out of three people. Yeah. So you're just, you're loving this sport. You're loving the process, but the, you know, I guess the, the external validation is not there, right? It's all internal. Well, some, I mean, you look at some guys who they compete for the first time, second time and yeah. people talk about them like, wow, like these guys, this is the next big thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, um, I remember back at those shows, Steve Pentaris. Yeah. Um, he won and everyone was like, he's the next, the next pro. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, I remember those guys coming up then, like even um, Adam Rochester was a junior back then as well. So yep. it was like, wow, amazing. You know, Adam didn't win either, but everyone was talking about him. Yeah. And so no one was talking about me, but I didn't need people to talk about me then. You didn't need like, that. Like, sure, it was nice. Validation. Yeah. But for me, yeah. it's like, yeah, I wanted to win. Yeah. But I suppose I had enough confidence in, I'm like, so I went from 80 kilos on stage in 2014 mm. to 100 kilos on stage in 2015. Mm. 
So I put on 20 kilos of stage weight in better condition. Mm. I wasn't in the best condition, but I was in better condition. It's all relevant yeah, yeah, compared yeah. to what you were. Yeah. And so I, I drew enough confidence. I'm saying, well, if that, I can do that, then what else can I do? And so for me, it was like, okay, I'm not winning shows. I want to, but you can either give up or you can keep working. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not afraid of hard work. The time is going to pass anyway. It's just, what are you going to do in the meantime? Correct. And it's such an important point, Mark. Uh, I, I just, I want to get your story out and then yeah. I want to go diving down these rabbit holes. But I just want to mention this because we're talking about it at the moment. It's such an important part. Uh, and you would see it with your coaching, right? Is the athletes who get into the sport of bodybuilding and particularly the competing side of it just for the external validation, yeah. just for the pro cards, just for the trophies, just for Instagram. people to, well, Instagram, social media, and all that shit. And I think that that's such something so valuable. And I'm, I'm going to continue on this story, sure. right? Your bodybuilding journey, but it's so valuable that you identified with that internal validation first and foremost. Mm. And it was like, you know, I am, I, I, what's valuable to me is not the trophies and the placings and the pro cards and people talking about me and all that bullshit. What's important to me is the progress I'm making as a person mm. and the fact that I'm taking control of the variables that I have control over and I'm getting output from my input. Absolutely. I, mean, I think it was just the, the shift in mindset. Yeah. And the shift became more towards just growth yeah. on, on every level, yeah. on every aspect. So like I'm changing my body, but I'm more confident. Mm. You know, and I always had a, um, I think growing up the way I did, I always had a sense of like, you know, street smart. Yeah. Yeah. I could, you know, I was better at sort of, you know, starting the business than I was at taking orders nine to five in a store. For sure. Why? Because I'd always I'd been made to make decisions already on the fly, mm. like with the way I was brought up. So mm. that transferred over into me having just confidence into making somewhat the right decision. Yeah. Okay. In a business standpoint. So, but then all of a sudden with a newfound confidence in how I looked at my abilities there, I've, I had this, again, sort of more confidence now, well, what else can I do with business? And then mm. you know, with relationships and then with um, everything in life, spirituality. It feeds in, right? Yeah. Everything transfers in. over. So it just yeah. became this growth mindset in all areas. And mm. that sort of, just, that excited me to keep pushing. For sure. Then back to bodybuilding. So you go 2015, then you take a year off pretty much to, to grow and get better. Yeah. Well, I did the end of 2017. Sorry. Um, 15, 15. Yeah. And then the thing was, I want to do the Arnold's start of 2017. But it wasn't the 16 was too close. Mm -hmm. So I thought start of 2017. Mm -hmm. So 16 was off essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you do the Arnold 2017. Um, Destroyed me. Not good. <laughs> not a good plan. Don't look at the photos. No, yeah, let's not go back to no. that one. <laughs> then we jump to 2018. Now, 2018, you've gone 2014, can I 15. touch on 2017 quickly? Yeah. Just for a lot of people out there who um, who want to look at competing for the first time as well. Mm. Again, I'm only saying this, man, because I know people who you know listen to the podcast, yeah. download the episodes, they're out there, they're trusting coaches, they're you know, they're willing to push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've pushed the boundaries on multiple aspects under coaches advice as well. Mm -hmm. And so 2017, I got really, really sick of my prep from pushing boundaries from using things that, you know, you don't really need to use. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I just want to make sure that everyone out there, if you're ever told to use something by a coach, no matter how much you trust them, mm -hmm. like it doesn't hurt to get a second opinion on that substance. Okay. Or on that diet plan as well, for instance, um, because I know for me, like I was competing with a family and mm. went through a period there where I almost thought I was going to die. And that unfortunately is a dark side of the sport where, you know, I do have an all or nothing, all or nothing mentality and I'm willing to push boundaries 
to a certain aspect. But again, through that trial and error, I've learned along the way that health is number one as well. 100%. So anyone out there who is competing and looking to experiment with different things, do it under controlled, um, in a controlled environment with the proper advice and make sure your health markers all in range. That's mm-hmm. all I want to say in that, bro, because like I said, 2017 yeah. for me was a big eye-opener in terms of, yeah, this is my, you know, absolute, my pursuit, my, my passion, my career, mm. but not at the expense of life. Health, yeah. absolutely, Great. for sure. Then we go to 2018. Now, 2018, you move countries, right? Yeah. You moved to Cyprus, and we'll touch on that because that was for business purposes <laughs> at the time, but you yeah. moved to Cyprus and you start competing over there. And now you start doing well. Yeah. Right now you start winning shows. Now you got people back here in Australia start talking about you as well. You get to the end of 2018 and you show up at the Queensland qualifier, nationals yes. qualifier at the end of 2018 and you win the super heavyweight title and you win the overall title. Yes. And at that point, people are like, who is this guy? Yeah. Where has he come from? Uh, and that's when people start hearing the name Michael Lucy, at least in bodybuilding circles. Correct. Yeah. Right? 2019 comes along. You do Bendigo and Amateur Olympia. Yes. It, which is kind of middle towards the end of the year. Yeah, the, the um, Las Vegas Amateur Olympia. Yeah. And then the start of this year, you do the Arnold Qualifier just before COVID hits. Yes. You win the Super Heavyweight in Queensland yeah. again. You win the overall in Queensland again. Yes. And you get very, very close to winning your pro card at, at the Arnold's. At the, the yeah. Arnold, quali- whatever, it ended what up. Yeah. <laughs> whatever it ended up being. Correct. But you're right. So now you're kind of, as I mentioned when we opened the show, right on the verge. You're one of the top amateurs in the country, yeah. right on the verge of, of earning that pro status as, a, uh, as an amateur, yeah. super heavyweight bodybuilder. Yes. And I think, you know, that your bodybuilding journey is um, – one, you know, similar where you, you, I, I interview so many athletes who are kind of at your level now, right? There are the real top amateurs or they're pros and they're kind of working their way up the ranks sure. who have a lot of success very early on in the sport. And I think that, you know, uh, something that's so unique about you is that you, you, you didn't have that success right at the start. It took you four or five years to start, you know, just start winning shows. And everyone reminded me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet. And then it flips, right? And you and I, we were having a discussion off camera is when it flips, now you start getting a little bit of negative energy coming your yeah. way, right? Like, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, it starts out where... Oh yeah, look, you competed like you know you've yeah. got poor genetics, mm. but yeah, oh, you look alright. So it's like, oh, I've got you know, shit genetics. I get told that self, and I, I'm not saying I don't either. Okay, so don't <laughs> no hate from there either. Okay, but I think that um, I always had a mindset of when they when I heard about you know poor genetics, and then like talking to Milos and talking and Milos really instilled a lot of confidence in me, Milos Sharsev, from saying that. Like he goes, your work ethic in the gym is unmatched in what he's seen. Mm. In fact, his words were, he's only ever um, trained one other person with the intensity that I had in the gym. And that was Hidetata Yamagishi, if you don't know his bodybuilding. But that gave me a lot of confidence. But then you start, yeah, winning the show. And I feel good because I'm like, wow, like I remember the first show I won and um, it was in Cyprus. It was just a little local qualifier show and – I was the biggest dude there like easily and people couldn't believe what the side of me. Mm. And I thought, wow, like I'm nothing. Like, you know, have you guys not seen the Olympia? But I was like a spectacle over there. And I remember winning 
And me, I was going out, out for the finals and the promoter of the show said, um, do you want to bring your kids up on stage when you win? Mm. I was like, what do you mean when I win? Like, <laughs> sorry. What are you talking yeah, about like, winning? What is this what winning are you talking business? About? And um, you're just doing with your kids up. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, they came up and then, then I won a Wabba show a couple of weeks later and they came up again. And that was an international show. It wasn't the greatest lineup, no mm. doubt, but it was an international we had competitors from Iran and Greece and, you know, anyway, so it was an international show. But it felt good to at least, you know, I can remember sort of winning, getting called first and just thinking, wow, like, that's what it feels like. Mm. Not winning, not so I can run it, rub it in people's faces, but it was, you know, that, I suppose, a result mm-hmm. from the hard work. And it wasn't just the last 12 weeks. It was 2014. Really, for me, it started before that, but it was a result of there's some um, almost – recognition mm. or, you know, the, the work I put in, in, in to get to that point because I felt like it was a real road. And then you start getting negative feedback. Mm. Then you start getting caught out on life for no reason. Like all of a sudden Mike looks terrible, you know, oh, he thinks he won a world championship show. It was only a Wabba show. Attacks when I was like, <laughs> I never, I didn't post a photo of me winning to be mm. like, hey, I'm the best, you know, in your faces. I posted on my Instagram because it was a thing of, hey, um, look where I've came from and I want to show like, you know, for people out there, you can do it too. Yeah. You know, Hey, if, if I can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Poor genetics, the worst genetics. Um, and then coming back to sort of Australia dealing with that criticism from here. Mm. And it was seemed strange cause it's like, Hey, this is my home as well. But I, I committed to a show. Luke Tim's helped me with that prep, you know, and Luke was a fantastic support for me along with T, my wife the time and I mean she always had belief in me mm-hmm. but um if I talk about the Queensland show too much I'll cry <laughs> man, man, like seriously because getting called out first like I went to the show I was working away from home I stopped work three days before the show and like I was working two three weeks away from home in motel rooms and driving an hour sometime to train at the smallest anytime fitness you could imagine. Mm. I'd turn up and it was closed. So I had to wait three, four hours for it to open. Like just, you know, not an ideal prep at all. Mm. And I came in the show and I was sending pictures to Luke and Luke's like, you look good. You deserve to win today. I'm like, I'm not going to win, but cool, mm. whatever. Because so much doubt. And even though I'd want to show overseas, it was different. It was Australia. Yeah. Dean McKillop Big was competing. Big as well. The, yeah. the Queensland qualifiers. Were Dean was huge. competing and it was just like, yeah. oh, yes, this is not going to be easy. And um, even Murray Culcutt was competing as well. He did classic and open, but great physique. Mm. And I remember being backstage and I was sort of took my top off to start walking around to get 10 and everyone started looking and like, Who, who's this guy? Mm. Like, you know, who's this? And I felt that energy. Not negative energy, but people like, what's what's going on here? And it was just surreal. Mm. I got up on stage and then I walked out and people, and even even the audience were like, like, what is that type of thing? Like they just weren't expecting it. And then I think Dean said, I got called winner for the um, the super heavyweights. And I went off and we're going straight back on for the overall. Mm. I think Dean said out loud, everyone just stand in front of Mike when we're on stage so we don't get outsized. And it was a nothing comment. Yeah. yeah. But in my mind, it was like, this is happening. So we went back out and then we went through the overalls and they called us around a few times, but it was pretty quick. And then they announced the overall winner, me. And I was like, just, um, 
I think when everything sort of comes to that moment, you don't know what to do. Yeah. And, um, it's in a, it's the accumulation of uh, up until that point, you know, not only the five years that you'd spent in bodybuilding, but everything that you'd been through in your life up until that point and all of the challenge and the adversity that you had been through to kind of get to that pinnacle uh, you know, I can only imagine the, the, I can see it on your face right <laughs> no, now, no, man. I'm not going to say too I much. I can only but imagine but the emotion you would have been experiencing at that, that point okay, in time. Look, let's, I'm not unrealistic. It's just a local yeah. Queensland show in Australia. Yeah. But it was just representation of, again, results, recognition, you know, I can do this. I remember Tony came off stage and he said like, he goes, wow, like, yeah. like I haven't seen you in a couple of years and you look amazing. Mm. Like you can really win the pro guard see you in Melbourne. Yeah. And that was like, wow, again, um, just a flood of emotions and yeah. not knowing how to ex- being thankful, appreciative, mm. um, you know, to my wife and family for supporting me as well. But it was like, well, I can actually do this now. Yeah. And belief, belief, belief. And I'll end up losing by 1.78 decision um, mm-hmm. at the Nationals two weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that looked better at Queensland, to be honest. But look, you know, um, it's all history now, but it was just, I suppose, a really sort of, um, yeah, reflection moment. And it wasn't, you know, actually when I got there, it wasn't, I didn't want to post about it. I thought when I'd won a show, I thought when I'd envisioned me winning a show, it would mm. be about, well, you know, stick it up all the haters. I did it. Yeah. But it wasn't even on my mind. Nah. Like there's nothing. Not I didn't, at all. Wasn't even thinking about the the atoms and the the whatever. So it was just like, um, it was more just internally belief, and then again that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. What else can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, for the first time, I thought, you know what, I can actually make this a career. You know, and then I mean that then led into me sort of you know starting the one team and whatever else. Yeah, at Chris Paul, but that's all part of it. But I mean, in terms of copying that negative energy, it was weird because you think you're going to get results and then mm-hmm. everyone's going to be your friend. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, people will support you um, just as long as you don't do better than them, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately. And, um, and that also became my mission with one team to to spread more positive energy rather than the negative energy. So again, yeah. I've always been a big, big believer in turning your mess into your message. So again, taking that hate and the things that I received, then how mm-hmm. can I now flip it? You know, and, and, and make it a positive, hundred percent. Yeah. And I just want to flip real quick because you are a businessman as well. Um, you know, uh, definitely a huge entrepreneurial streak. And your business and career story, <laughs> you know, uh, sits alongside this personal uh, personal story, and obviously your bodybuilding journey up until this point. But I just want to I, I want to start with the first business that you set up at mm-hmm. 21, yep. 21 years old, um, effectively a sales contracting business. And at the time you were selling solar panels, solar panels predominantly, right? yeah. and then you go, so you kind of set that business up that does really well. It's at the mm-hmm. time when government's given, um, rebates for solar panels and it's just a booming industry. Yeah, right. And so you've done that at quite a, quite a young age. And then you go another couple of years down the road and you decide to set up Another business, yes, which is a tire, tire recycling, yeah. right? We basically took old car tires, yeah. and turned them into oil, yeah. And that business just also explodes, yeah. does really, really well. You were, if I'm not mistaken, the first business in the country 
to use this sort of technology at the time, Correct, right? Yeah, so the take, first yeah. licensed facility ever in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we invested $6 million into that plant. So it was, wasn't was a small plant at all. It was, it was big. Well, it wasn't small for me. It was, yeah. you know, no no bank money there. Yeah. It was private money. 100%. And so you, now you've got these two businesses kind of running in parallel to each other. You're doing really well as a businessman, as an entrepreneur. At the time, you've got almost 100 staff. Yeah, across, across the two businesses. Across, yeah. across the two businesses. Yeah. And then something happens. Yeah. Talk us through that. Uh, oh, well, look, you know, we um, we got involved with, in terms of the recycling business, we got involved with some family. Um, I won't say from whose side. Yeah. But we got involved with some family and things just turned really, really sour really quickly. You know, that business sort of ended up at Supreme Court. I think I ended up pulling a pin at about between $250,000 to $300,000 in legal fees. Mm-hmm. Um, just between, you know, you look back now and you say it's dumb stuff, mm-hmm. but it was, you know, Important enough to tear the business apart. And it's still that sort of court, um, that business there. So that sort of was just cotton wrapped in cotton wool. And that's the, end, the reason why we ended up going to Cyprus to um, explore new business ventures over mm-hmm. there to do with solar. Yep. So while this one was sort of on the back burner, um, we sort of took off overseas to try and explore some more solar stuff mm-hmm. because Cyprus, um, at that time, my wife fam- had family there. It's where her family's from. Yeah. Northern Cyprus, so Turkish part of Cyprus. And, you know, the solar wasn't even being done over there. They get more days of sunlight than almost any other country in the world. It just made sense. So, mm. um, yeah, we, we experienced like in solar, you know, I think, my, I think I was telling you before, in the first nine months, we turned over over $3 million, mm. you know, $4 million um, and had a really good profit margin. And so it became really lucrative really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was always, with bodybuilding was always a, a passion, mm. but I always made sure that I provided the family, first of all, yeah. you know, and it was my only passion. I didn't, I wasn't one of those guys who sort of needed to go with the boys, mm. you know, and drinking and partying. I did that when I was younger, but I didn't need any, have any need for it now. So it was either bodybuilding, family or work. You know, and I put as much energy as I can into those three. Um, and again, I really wanted to create a lifestyle because bodybuilding is not a cheap um, pursuit by any means as well where I could provide a lifestyle to my family where they were comfortable and taken care of, number one, but then, you know, supported me to pursue my dreams as well. So I had different, you know, um, I suppose motivations as to why I put so much energy into, you know, I always wanted to work for myself because this is, again, from that upbringing, it's how I was wired to work best. Um, I always wanted to do more, something new, um, and we had aspirations. And to be honest, the recycling, when we first when it first took off and we had all the government support, you know, we thought we were going to sell that for a hundred million dollars and just mm. retire because mm. that was the kind of feedback we were getting. Um, but things took a turn, mm-hmm. you know, and how we feel at that time, to be honest, okay. So when it first happened, we just, well, I just blamed everyone else. Yep. I blamed um, the family member who got involved. I blamed the extended family. I blamed the government. I blamed, Everyone wasn't my fault. A lot of finger pointing. Yeah, a lot of finger pointing, you know. And at the time it felt, you know, it was the only thing that felt good was to say it wasn't my fault. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't my fault this, is, this was happening. Mm-hmm. But then things just got worse and worse financially. You know, I started just savings were gone. Um, I thought, you know, if I keep pointing the finger, it's not going to essentially get any better. So I just took responsibility. This is my fault. I'm in control. I'm going to start making some moves now to make it better. Mm-hmm. And I think as soon as... We accept responsibility, even though you might not think it's your fault. As soon as you accept responsibility, you actually accept control of the situation. 
when you don't accept responsibility, when you point the finger, you're saying, I'm not in control. Mm-hmm. When you're not in control of a speeding car, you're going to crash. You can't do anything about it. You can't man. do anything. So I took control, took responsibility, and just started making, you know, decisions to put us back on track. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a part of Cyprus. That was also a part of coming back to Australia mm-hmm. for different business opportunities. Um, so I think that's where it's – and look, at the moment now, in, from the business stand, standpoint, after that business sort of had to break down, I went back into – solar because I had a lot of industry contacts there. Mm-hmm. I started doing more sales training and, um, and I did very well. I worked a lot, a lot of hours as well. Yeah. A lot of sales training, contracting, um, which again, did very well. Um, but with COVID hitting, it sort of gave me the first chance in forever to step out of that corporate-ish world. Yeah. That makes sense. We got stuck down in Melbourne after I competed. When I say stuck, they closed the borders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just said, I'm not going to rush back into it because mm-hmm. always, we always wanted to do something else in terms of like, you know, something to do with fitness and, you know, the industry that I was passionate about, yes. helping people more, but the attraction was always the quick money. Mm-hmm. Well, I can make more money here now. Mm-hmm. So COVID gave me the first sort of chance to step back and say, well, now I can actually focus on, um, you know, watering the grass that I want to grow the most. So when I focused on one team and the coaching side of things, um, things really took off there. Mm. And so at the moment where it's like, I couldn't take on a full-time position anywhere else because it is my full-time job. Yeah. He's helping out, you know, the team. And I'm really, really proud of, of that shift because, you know, for people to sort of trust you with helping guide them, I don't take for granted. You know, they're not a paycheck to me. Mm -hmm. Their results literally become, as important to me as they are to them. And uh, I put my heart and soul into that team. Um, but like I said, I'm really, really thankful that, again, there's people out there who trust me enough to help them and it allows me to earn a living by helping them mm-hmm. as well at the same time. So I take nothing for granted. Mike, I just, <clears throat> I want to I wanna dive into some of these experiences of yours, man, because I think this is really where a lot of people will resonate with different parts of your story, right? And where we are at this point in time, we mentioned COVID, obviously, uh, we're very much still within the jaws of the pandemic yeah. uh, in Australia. We're kind of insulated, but worldwide, very much in, you know, probably in the eye of the storm, to be completely honest. Sure. And a lot of people have been dealing with sorts of adversities that they've never had to deal with before. And you, man, your whole life, you've been dealing with adversities from being stabbed as a 16 year old, being electrocuted as a 19 year old, dealing with, you know, even your, your passion bodybuilding, just dealing with blow after blow with bodybuilding, coming close to death in 2017 on the business side of things, you know, having to go through uh, and when you get to the Supreme court, it's, it's a no bullshit court action, having to go through that, you know, businesses, the ups and downs of business that's, you know, the natural in the life cycle of any business, moving countries, moving back, man, like where, where, what's your mindset when you come up against adversity? Well, it's, it's literally, um, I think resourcefulness is our biggest resource as mm. humans, the ability to think outside the box. You know, I can, I can compare us to animals. Yeah. And like, if you're a lion, as an example, yeah. you're looking to hunt and kill or you're looking to reproduce. Like, you mm. know, there's not much thought pattern there. These flight and fight responses, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're 2D. That makes sense. 
Whereas we're like 3D, 4D, 5D in some cases. Yeah. Where we have the ability to really think and react uh, and make our own decisions. That, that, that ability or freedom of our own, to control our own thoughts mm. is the biggest gift we have. So when I'm faced with adversity and back against the wall, I'm, my first approach is always, well, there's always another way. Mm-hmm. There's always a way out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, take responsibility, take control, um, and then, you know, really just decide on what you think at that time is the best course of action without hurting anyone, without, you know, with integrity, with ethics, yep. decide on the best course of action and, and put everything you can into it. Yeah. And don't have a plan B. And the thing is, it might not be the absolute best way, but it, it's a movement. Okay. It's a movement in a, in a different way. And I related back to, uh, I did a lot, a lot of business with the Chinese mm-hmm. with that recycling. Mm-hmm. I went to China 10 times. and um. And I was talking to them about their um, government mm-hmm. and they were saying how it's like a um, dictatorship, you know, there's one person in charge, the people have no say. Yeah. And I said to one of my um, colleagues over there, I said, what do you think about that in terms of, you know, you don't have a say? Because apparently in Australia we've got, you know, a choice. <laughs> um, democracy. <laughs> but, but, uh, but COVID. Um, yeah, but, yeah. That's, that's a but, whole different podcast, yeah, yeah. brother. <laughs> but he said that, he said, look, Sometimes we don't always agree with the decision mm. that the, the person in charge makes. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's the right decision. Sometimes it's the wrong decision, but it's always a decision. And it was really powerful. What I took from that was, that's right. You're not always going to make the right decision in life. Mm. You know, you learn, hopefully from mistakes and you get better at judging and, and making <laughs> less of a wrong decision each time. Yeah. Okay. But the, you know, the biggest kill is that procrastination of, not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, what, one, two, three, five years pa- passes and you haven't changed, you haven't grown, you haven't expanded, there's no, there's no growth. Mm-hmm. And so with adversity, that's a challenge to, to grow. It's a challenge to, to be better. And so I really take on the challenge to say, okay, well, how can I grow from this? Make a decision, move forward. It's not always going to be the right decision. No one's perfect. I'm far from it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not afraid to make a decision and to put everything I have into it. Yeah. Yeah, and deal with the consequences later on. As I said, I try and make judgment away things up, but no one, no one saw COVID coming. Mm. And so there's no handbook for COVID. It's like, so how do you as a business, even, you know, Massive Joe's, it's like, I take inspiration from you, from like, you know, getting hit hard, like a lot of businesses out there, but still standing, yep. you know, and still looking at how you can grow and expand. So that adversity hits and it's like, well, mm. it's, it's a challenge. Let's, let's take a step forward. Let's, let's reach a new level. As long as you have that growth mindset, you're not afraid of adversity. hundred percent. I have this saying where, you know, a lot of people when they come up to, when they come up and they face adversity or any sort of situation where there's a decision to be made that's difficult, right? It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an uncomfortable decision. Fork in the road. A hundred percent. And a lot of the time they'll say, you know, I just need a little bit more time. I need a little bit more time. I need a little bit more time and they kick the can down the road and it's just this, you know, just continuously kind of pushing this decision that needs to be made out until I don't know what they're waiting for, right? And maybe uh, an epiphany of some sort or, you know, someone to make the decision for them or whatever it is. And so what I say is I say, it's not that you, you need more time, you need more courage. You need the courage to make a decision, Right? And that decision should be based on your experience, your intuition, the information you have at that point in time. 
all of the resources that you have, but you need to make a decision. And then you need to have the courage to not just make the decision, but see the decision through without knowing what's ahead, yeah. without knowing if it's right or wrong, without knowing what's going to happen on the other side of it, but going, you know what? It doesn't matter because I will take accountability for whatever the consequences are of that decision. And I think that, you know, what you say is, is so true is it's a, it's a combination of when you come up against adversity, acting, you know, like take action, make a decision, do something and know that it's, it's probably, you, you know what, 99 times out of a hundred, it's not going to be the right decision. No and you yeah. you'll look back on it and you go, why did I do that? Or I could have done this differently, or, you know, whatever the situation may be, but you have to do something. I think so many people get into a situation where they most commonly freeze when they come up against adversity, right? Well, it's, it's like, it's, it's fight, flight or freeze. Right. And when you say, they're kicking the can down the road. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, why are they kicking the can down the road? Mm. Why are they kicking it? There's no courage. No courage. No courage to what? No courage to make a decision. To fail. Well, that too. People are Cour afraid you know, to make a decision. To make the wrong decision. Because, well, what if I don't get it right? Yeah. What are they going to say about me? Yep. It's going to be my fault. Yep. Yeah. Whereas if I kick the can long enough, mm. the wind may take it in a direction that wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. It wasn't my fault. And it comes back to ownership, man. But if it goes in the right direction, right. yeah, I did that. Yeah. It was my call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if it goes the wrong way, no, it wasn't my fault. I but didn't this, do it. You did it. And this is why the courage aspect is so important, Absolutely. right? Because it doesn't it doesn't matter where the can goes. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you fail. It doesn't matter what other people think. Movement forward. You just got to go. Man. It's like in the gym. I led back to training yeah. because that's what I do. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I have people say to me, oh, I'll watch some of your training videos. How do you, how do you, seem to fail, but then mm. go for one more rep. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of not standing back up. Yeah. I'm not afraid to fail the bottom, but I will refuse to, to end that session end that set yeah. with the regret of not knowing mm. what if, what if I did, let me tell you that one rep at the end does more for me internally, my confidence than the other 12 reps did because mm. the ability to say, no, I'm in control. I'll go down. If I stand up, I feel amazing. I don't, I'll make sure I do next time. Mm. So it's always a challenge to learn and the courage to go for one rep, the courage to make a decision, the courage to take action. Mm. Yeah, absolute key to life in all aspects, training, business, relationships, yeah. spirituality. Where do you think that comes from in you? Just that, 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 you know, effectively lack of fear of failure. I think because when I, when I stopped caring about what so many, when I say stop caring, so that I don't care what people think about me. Yeah. It's that I'm comfortable with who I am. Mm -hmm. I know internally my heart. I know my intentions. I know my integrity. I know what I stand for. Mm. And so I think it came from that growing up where I was afraid to fail because I felt like I failed like my whole life. Mm. And so I was making decisions based on, well, what, what is that going to person think about me? Well, you know, all these decisions, not based on, what I wanted to do, not necessarily what I should be doing, but just trying to save face almost. Mm. So experience probably is where it comes from the most, but also comes to a point in time where I'm like, I, I'm really, really comfortable with people not, not, not vibing me or not liking me for whatever reason it may be, mm. because I know who I am. Mm -hmm. And if my family's comfortable with me, I'm not afraid to make a decision and fail. Okay. It doesn't mean that I don't take these decisions seriously. 
Like, you know, when you're dealing with finances with kids involved, it's like, you know, my greatest fear is being a failure to them. Mm-hmm. My greatest fear is to, you know, um, not provide security and safety to my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's huge. Um, bigger than body, bigger than one set in the gym. You know what I mean? But it's like, again, I suppose it's just, it comes from a, a, a confidence in myself that regardless of what anyone says, you know, if it is the wrong decision, um, you know, then I'm going to be able to flip it. I'm going to have the chance to make another decision. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, there's always going to be another chance to continue that decision or to, you know, make amends. The plan changes along the way. The course changes along the way. Mm-hmm. We have to adapt. We have to be resourceful. And I'm not afraid to, you know, to, I suppose, adapt and be resourceful, you know, move to another country. Yeah, let's do it. No dramas. Mm. I mean, I moved, it took me uh, three days to decide, not even. I asked my wife, I said, we're going, we'll do it. And she was like, you sure? I'm like, yes, let's, <laughs> let's do it. Like, there's no no doubt. Yeah. Because I wasn't afraid. Yeah, we'll make it work. Mm. We'll find a way. Find a way. Mm. This uh, incredible confidence that you have built in yourself and this battle against self-doubt, you know, we were talking about the uh, how you see with the members of one team, the mm-hmm. members of your, your um, clients who you coach, and you see what they do in the gym and, and your belief in them in the gym and in your coaching of them through their fitness journey translate over into other areas of their life. I love to give really practical advice to the listeners and the viewers with, you know, how they can instill these sorts of things in their own lives. Right. And I know that one of the things that a lot of people really struggle with is self-doubt or lack of confidence is just the internal belief that says, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Mm-hmm. I don't have what it takes. And all of the rest of that. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Eternally. Yeah. I they haven't they earned it. it. Yeah. Right. It's all of these automatic negative thoughts that steal your happiness. I yeah. call them ants. They sabotage us. They do. A hundred percent. If you could give one piece of practical advice through your experience that, that you personally have been through or you've seen through one team that you could say, you know what, this is where, this is how you begin to stamp out self-doubt and start building step-by-step, brick-by-brick brick mm. self-confidence. Sure. What would you, what's your advice? So I would start with the basics. Mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, it's important to have the the end goal in mind. Yeah. Like, you know, like me, I might say, I'm not afraid to say it, I want to stand on the Olympia stage. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to stand and uh, compete, okay, and, and, and earn my spot there, Okay. The not win, okay, but earn my spot on the stage. That's that's in bodybuilding. That's my ultimate goal. But I realize there's stepping stones to get there, okay? Mm. There's daily things that I have to do that will equal that ultimate goal. So the biggest thing for anyone who wants to start any journey, it's about building confidence in yourself. And this starts with making promises that you can keep to yourself. Because when you become a promise keeper to yourself, you build confidence. And I use the analogy of this, okay? Just an example. Mm. If I say... You say to me, say, Mike, I'm landing in Melbourne. I'll be there 6 p.m. Can you pick me up? I'm like, yeah, man, I'll get you. No worries at all. You land 6.10, 6.20, 6.30, 6.40. You call me, no answer. 7 p.m., you catch an Uber. Mm. You see me the next day. Hey, man, like, where were you? Joe, I forgot, man. Sorry. Yeah. And you're like, you know, it's the first time. Don't worry about it. No stress. A couple months later, you land again. You're like, hey, can you pick me up? I'm there at 5.30. 
Again, 5.30, you land, 5.40, 5.50, no answer. You catch an Uber. Mm. I see you again the next day. You're like, Mike, man, like, what's the go? I'm like, man, I forgot, sorry. The kids, you know how it is. Like, yeah, okay, man. No worries. Next time you fly to Melbourne, mm. are you even going to call me? Nope. No. Why? Because you let me down <laughs> let two times down. in a row. So what do you think happens when people say, you know what, internally? Yep. I'm saying, you know what, Mike, I want to... I want to lose five kilos, hmm. example, yeah? And then it doesn't happen. You promise yourself, I'm going to take these steps. I'm going to eat clean. I'm going to do the right things. And I'm going to lose five kilos. And you don't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. You fail in every aspect. You make another promise. I'm going to, you know, save $1,000 in the bank. You know, each day I'm going to save $5. It's a simple plan. Mm. But then, you know, you might get up to 200 bucks in the account you know, Black Friday comes along, Massey Joe's has a sale. <laughs> there goes the 200 bucks. <laughs> you spend the money, yeah? Yep. So you fail again. The point is that when we make promises to ourselves, little things subconsciously along mm. the way, and we don't follow through, we lose confidence in ourselves. Mm. And to the point where you can make a promise, and subconsciously, your subconscious goes, Mike, you know, you're talking rubbish again. You're not going to do it. Yep. Don't even try. Don't even try. Because mm. you lose this belief in yourself. So the easy way to, to, to get that belief back is to start small. Mm -hmm. Maybe not I'm going to lose 10 kilos. Maybe not I'm going to compete in bodybuilding. Maybe I'm not going to save a million dollars. You might say this week I'm going to save a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This week I'm going to, you know, drink a liter of water every morning before my first meal. This week I'm going to do something small. And at the end of that week, when you've done it, mm. you're like, wow, made a promise, small one, but I kept it. Yep. What else can I do? And you build on that Stack over em. and over and over again. And eventually that little, that little snowball turns into an avalanche mm -hmm. and you gain this momentum all the way down the hill of success. Okay. If you think about it, you're going down the hill of success, but you've got to get that momentum first of all. So yep. when you get to the bottom, then you can take that next hill to the top. Um, and eventually building that confidence in yourself, like I said, whether it's, health and fitness or business or relationships, mm. you know, relationships. It might be, I'm going to have a, you know, at the end of the day, turn the TV off, turn the Instagram off and have a five minute conversation with my wife or partner before bed, mm -hmm. you know? And after a week of doing that, you might know something different about her or them, you know, it's, it's small things. So, so understand the end goal. It's important to have the big goal. Yes. Yep. But understand that you need to build confidence along the way. So I think small steps mm. and making small daily advances towards those things, tick the boxes daily, mm -hmm. and you're going to build the confidence to get there. I like to say win every day. Yeah. That's, that's the goal is win every day. And winning every day means making promises to yourself that you keep. Yeah. So you make a promise to yourself every day or two promises or three promises or whatever it is, and you keep them. You do it. And then exactly like you said, you stack Monday win with a Tuesday win, with a Wednesday win, with a Thursday win, you win the week, you win two weeks in a row, you win three weeks in a row, you win the month, you win the year, and you just start turning shit around. Absolutely. Another um, practical piece that I just want to give on that as well mm. is, and you, you mentioned it, is a, you know, start very small with your promises, right? Don't go right to the end goal. No. And, you know, make this promise that's going to take you 12 months to, it, 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 you, you, it just needs to be small, man. Like, I love the example you gave, just drink a liter of water before you get up yeah. or as soon as you get up, you know, don't cheat on your diet. 
Simple. Just simple, you know, very small little promises. And, and as you develop, you know, the keeping promises to yourself muscle is like a muscle, yeah. right? You're not going go to the, you're not gonna go to the gym, put 200 kilos on a bench press and go and bench that for 10 reps. Progressive well, overload. you might, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> Progressive overload. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're going to go and you're going to put 10 kilos on each side and you're going to build up and then you're going to come back a couple of weeks later and you're going to do 15 kilos and then 20 kilos and so on and so forth, right? It's progressive overload. The keeping promises to yourself muscle works exactly the same way. You start very small and you start stacking those wins on top of each other. You start stacking those promises on top of each other. And before you know it, you get very good at keeping promises that you make to yourself. And so you can keep more significant promises, more difficult promises, and you build up the ability to make sure that you follow through. And it's just building effectively resilience. The other piece that I want to give as well, though, is especially when you're talking about people who are in a rut, effectively, let's just call it a rut, or they're, they're kind of down and out, right? And their daily habits and their daily rituals do not align with keeping promises to themselves, do not align with where they see their best self mm-hmm heading towards, right? So they might do, you know, they might have goals and aspirations around their body composition and their health and fitness, but they're in the habit of eating shit before they go to bed every night, or they're in the habit of having, you know, a glass of wine or beer before they go to bed at night, or, you know, eating, uh, having sugary drinks instead of drinking water. You can't just drop bad habits, you need to replace them with good ones. Yeah, for sure. So my advice to you guys, if you're looking at starting to exercise this, keep the promises that you make to yourself muscle is to figure out what the bad habits are that don't align with your best self mm-hmm. and start replacing those bad habits bit by bit, small, small part by small part with habits that do align with your best self and the direction that you want to take your life. And I think that, um, recognizing those patterns yeah. as to why you do them. Yeah. Okay. And maybe who you do them with. Mm. Okay. And mm. why I mentioned that is because willpower is a muscle. Yes. We need willpower to start anything. Yeah. We need willpower to start a business. Mm. We need willpower to start a weight loss journey. We need willpower to, you know, ask a girl out. We need, we need willpower yeah. to start. Yeah. But the thing is that environment in so many cases is stronger than willpower. So when we, <laughs> I mean, Willpower only get us so far, but if if you're making if you're trying to swap, you know this bad um, essentially habit, mm-hmm. okay, or habit that's not supportive of your goals, mm-hmm. doesn't align with those um, that vision. It's like you can swap it, but essentially make sure try and get around an environment that's supportive of you replacing that habit as well. Yes, and I relate that, that back to one team because so many people who jump on the team, mm. okay, they come from a place where they're ready in their life to make a change, mm-hmm. to have a growth mindset, to start off with weight loss or I want to look better, feel better. But it always goes into so much more. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they come to me and they start this, they, they're motivated, they, you know, they probably looked at the, you know, message button to me or any coach, you know, for a month before they actually press it. Yeah. They get the willpower to press it, contact, great, yeah. I've got a plan. Yes, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Then they go to work with a Tupperware. And the mates are like, what's going on, Joe? What's happening here? <laughs> like, get yeah. a pie, man. Yeah. You know, where's the big M? And this is only so often that most people will take that and be like, okay, I'll be able to willpower through that, okay? Mm-hmm. So what I try and do with one team is create an environment or a community 
that gives support to the members. Yeah. So when they, because just because I'm ready to take on a new goal, mm. my health and fitness or business or whatever it may mm. be, doesn't mean my family's ready. Doesn't mean my friends are ready. There are different stages in life. Now I'm not saying cut them out mm-hmm. for your friends and family, but understand you may need to make new friends as well that, that are supportive to those goals and those environments. Yeah. Because that's going to allow you that when you get, when that doubt starts to build from your family, who you know, doubt and they, mm. because they're not ready out of fear, they might, you know, just not come at you in the most positive context. Mm-hmm. It's important to have that, you know, almost second sort of group that will be supportive, that understand, yep. that are on a similar journey. So try and get an environment that is supportive of you replacing those bad habits with good habits, supportive of you making those small promises to yourself, and that also keeps you accountable. Yes. Yeah? Like that says, hey, man, like, you know, we wake up in the morning, like, right now with my group, and it's like, by the time I get out of bed, maybe 5.30, mm. there's like three or four early rises. They're up, morning team, cardio done, meals packed for the day. Mm-hmm. So like when you wake up to those messages and you're seeing three or four people already killing it, you're like, Fuck, man, I better get on my game now yep. because- You're going to level up. Yeah, level up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so take the positive energy from that as well. So yeah. just to add on, bro, for sure. Yeah, Man, the final thing that I want to uh, dive into is you, with everything that you have um, come up against and all of the challenges that you have uh, faced, confronted and, and ultimately conquered, it would be- very easy for you, and I, and not just you. I see this a lot with a, with a lot of people who have come up against some hard shit, right? Like you know, losing a business, being fucking stabbed in the face, uh, you know, just hugely traumatic situations. To get to a situation where there's a lot of negative energy, mm. and there's a lot of neg- negative energy being put into the universe and there's a lot of negative negative karma being put into the universe you seem to have taken everything and almost put it into the mic machine and flipped it around and spit it back out as positivity in everything you do like you you know you you walked in here Earlier today to Massive Joe's headquarters, gave you and your wife a little bit of a tour around and I can just, you know, I'm I'm big on picking up energy from people, right? And I can just feel positive energy coming from you. I can feel the positive vibes. I can feel the resonance between you, you and I. Is that, is that a conscious decision? Like where, where does that, you know, why are you so positive? Well, I think that I believe in like karma, universe. Yeah. Um, I believe that, you know, we, we get out literally what we put um, in yeah. to the world. Life supports those who support life. Mm. Okay. So life supports always those who support life. So I make a conscious decision, yes, to try and you see the best in everyone. Everyone's, you know, um, essentially innocent for me for proven mm. guilty. Yes. Yeah? So I try and see the, the best out of people. I try and bring the best out of people as well. And I can only do that by a transfer of energy, which is positive. Mm. Okay. I know deep down my integrity, my intentions are always good. Like I came to headquarters today with, you know, the best intentions. Mm. Yeah. With, with appreciation, you invited me here. I always try to remain as humble as I can. Mm. One thing I mentioned quickly before we talk about, you know, making promises to yourself and you yes. build this confidence up. It's important along the way to remain humble, mm. okay, to pay your dues, to give back to the world. Because like I see a lot of people, even on the team sometimes, mm. build up this confidence and you pump them up so much, all of a sudden they become this egotistical, just, you know, force, you know, hey man, like you got to bring yourself back down as well. 
So what I try and do is make a conscious effort to give back on a daily basis. If something goes wrong in my life, mm. it might be an injury. It might be a financial setback. If my son falls over and you know scrapes his knee, um, anything happens that seems like a little bit of negative energy, mm. I try and I, I automatically say, what have I missed? What have I not done? What, what have I forgotten? You know, what, do I owe someone some money? Did I forget to pay back, you know, $5 here? Or did I, you know, what did I do? Mm. It was, what's the universe trying to tell me? And immediately at that point in time, I'll donate money. I'll give to charity. I'll just do random acts of kindness as much as I can. Yep. Try and put back more good energy out there as well, because that comes back to you. You should always give before taking. Mm. Yeah, life is about giving. And um, I try and set those standards within myself. And, excuse me, I come from a, a place of, in my younger days, depression, my anxiety from being jumped on a beach by 20 people, mm. stabbed in the back twice, you know, nose crushed, cricket bats in my face, baseball bats over the back of my head. They crushed my knuckles. They held my hand down on rocks and beat my hand till there was like there was nothing left. So I had KYs for six months to build back support there. Um, like some anxiety from that, from the electric shock. They, those are things I deal with daily. Mm. But I choose to try and uh, I recognize the patterns. So it took me a while to recognize the patterns of, you know, why I did certain things along the way. When I was younger, I used to tell a lot of white lies. Mm. Why? It's like when I started talking to my mum, I didn't want my dad to know. So it's dumb, yeah? I'm just talking to my parents. But I have to tell my dad a white lie just to, to talk to my mum. But over time, that becomes normal to the point where you're doing it now in everyday life, in situations you don't need to. Yeah. And you're like, wow. i give you another example. Some people can take something from this as well. I had this thing when I was younger and I got a girlfriend mm. to buy her expensive gifts. Yeah? Why? Well, I don't know. I'd get paid and I'd, I'd, I could have had to blow that whole money, the paycheck on expensive, like boots, handbag, you name it. It had to be designer, had to be something. And at one point I was like, why am I doing this for? Like even with my wife, when we first got together, it was like I had a day off, I got paid the day before and you know, she came home to presents and she never expected it. She, she took them, but you know, but she didn't know why, yeah. But the point was, it's like, I'm like, why am I, I don't need to do this. Mm. I remember the night my parents split up and my mum was, um, um, they had a very open relationship anyway. So but I'm not getting into why they split up, but mm. she was on the phone to this other um, man. Sorry. She was out with this other guy and my dad called her and I was up cause I was going to work mm. to clean at like midnight. And I heard them talking and they were yelling and like, why are you out with him for whatever? And it all happened. And my dad hung up the phone and he said, yep, that's it. Your mum's gone to live with whatever his name was. I know it, but anyway, um, because he buys her expensive boots. Mm. Because the day before, he had bought my mum a $500 pair of boots. So it's like my mum left my dad mm. because this other guy bought her a pair of expensive boots. Subconsciously, mm-hmm. Years and years down the track, what am I doing? Buying expensive boots. The minute that I'm scared to lose someone, as an example, mm. I'm doing the same thing. And so that's an example of recognizing the patterns. Yep. Yeah. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Mm. I don't need to. And when you can make peace with that, you can then move on. So 
all these things have sort of led me to just try and really change the way that I interact with people and interact with the world Mm -hmm. and the energy of the world. Okay. And I'm not a a yogi or like, you know, a um, a hippie type thing, but I do believe in, in power of energy, transfer of energy. And I try and walk into a room and really feel, well, what good can we now do, mm-hmm. you know, for, for everyone? You know, h- how can we pass along, you know, the lessons that we've learned in a positive way? Um, because we're all walking, you know, um, we're all walking examples of, of, you know, good experiences, bad experiences, everything. We're, we're, we're experienced. Mm. Okay. And so the, the power is to talk to someone and then you know, I enter the room a student. It's like, well, how can I learn from Joe? Yeah. You know, look what Joe's built. Example, yep. how can I take some away, something away from this? Mm. Um, and then together, how can we collaborate to then help, you know, the listeners of the, of the podcast to mm. maybe go about and change something in their life for the better. So it, 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 it's definitely a constant daily decision when you wake up to do the best you can. Yeah. Okay. And not just for you. Don't be about just you. Yeah. Cause the world's bigger than that. Mm. Um, you need to be about everyone. You need to be about the universe. You need to be about understanding that what you put out there will come back to you. That's so true, man. There is, you know, the karma is so very practical and sometimes it doesn't play out the way that you think it might, but it always plays out. Always. It always plays out. And, you know, one piece of advice that I have, especially because I've seen so many people make this mistake this year, right? And it's understandable, right? You can empathize with it. It's been incredibly stressful. Uh, A lot of our listeners, this is probably the first real smack in the face that the universe has given them is this pandemic, right? A lot of their freedoms have been taken away. A lot of, you know, it's just who would have thought this could happen sort of thing. And I've seen a lot of people feel very sorry for themselves. And I've seen a lot of people put a lot of negative energy into the universe because they're in that victim mentality of why me, you know, why is this happening to me? Which is, it's ego, right? It's, it's selfish. It's thinking about yourself. It's thinking about how you're being, being affected rather than thinking about, no, this is happening to everybody. This is happening to the entire community. And my one piece of practical advice Uh, That's still very relevant because I still, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, I think we're in the jaws of the pandemic or Mm -hmm. the the eye of the pandemic storm. And there's still a lot more to go through before we can say this is over is take whatever negative energy that you may be harboring that, you know, take that victim mentality, take all of that negative self-talk, recycle it like, like you have done, Mike, throughout your entire life, right? You're a, you're a living example of how to do it. Take it, flip it around and find some way of recycling it and putting it as positive energy back into the universe. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, you said you might go donate money to charity. If you don't have money, it doesn't have to be donate money to charity. Intention. It's intention. A hundred percent. It's being a nice person. It's being a kind person. It's holding a door open for an old person so they can work through it. Mm-hmm. It's having a smile on your face. It's saying good morning to somebody, uh, just a complete stranger. It's just being. Calling an old friend and said, Hey man, I'm just calling you. 
not with an intention of getting anything, just to say, hey. Just to say, hey, just checking in, just seeing how you are. And, you know, the more that you can do that and it consciously as well, right? Like a lot of people think that some some people are just positive people, right? You got to work at that. Of course you do. You know, it's consciously. Progressive overload. Make it, <laughs> it's exactly right. See, this is why the, the fitness lifestyle and life line up so yeah. perfectly. <laughs> Everything's progressive overload. But, you know, consciously, guys, just... And once again, small things, like we said, win every day, make, keep the promises that you make to yourself, have a conscious intention to put positivity into the universe. I think that one thing I heard through a lot of personal development that I did, and mm. I encourage everyone to do some personal development, you know, don't invest into, I don't know, clothes and superficial things, invest into your personal development. Um, but Tony Robbins, mm. who I draw a lot of inspiration from, he had this thing where he said, turn your worst day into your best day. Mm-hmm. And it was a context of, I might think back and, and say, geez, you know, the worst day was when my mum left my dad and my world turned upside down and, or I got bashed, mm. I got electric shock. Mm-hmm. But how can we turn those things into the best day? And so, you know, what essentially, what doesn't kill us does make us stronger. We only know strength because we've known weakness. We only truly know love when we've known hate. So we can only really know our best day when we realize what our worst day was or what we think it was. So I might think back and think, geez, the worst day was when my parents split up, you know, or when my, you know, because my dad became a shell and I didn't have that dad that I wanted growing up from 13 to 16, like he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. I didn't have my mum in my life. And so I didn't have parents. Wow, that was a bad day, my worst day. And I could spend my whole life thinking, poor me, Mm-hmm. Victim mentality, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not my fault. My parents, you know, I didn't have a happy childhood, so that's the reason why I'm an asshole now. Or I can say, you know what, like, thank God that I went through what I did. Mm. Thank God I didn't have the dad that I thought I wanted to, that I thought I deserved, because now I make sure I'm the best dad I can be. Mm-hmm. And so I try and turn my worst day into my best day. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, if you can, you know, like, don't, don't be funny about it either. Like, literally think back to your worst day and what did you draw out of it? What, 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 how are you now different in a positive way because of that? Mm. Okay. And if you're not thinking of how you can be, and if you are, cross it off as a bad day. Mm. Stop holding on to negativity. If you think back to COVID, what positives can you draw out of it? Surely something happened in your life. Maybe you spent more time with family. Mm. Maybe you spent time on a hobby and became better at it. Yep. You know, if you, again, if you don't, you still have a chance to. If you've got extra time now, put these into the right areas mm-hmm. and turn these bad days into your best days. Such a powerful message, man. Man, that'll change your life. Ah, oh, it's beautiful. Mark, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure uh, having you on the podcast, man. You're, uh, I mean, I like, I'm just vibing off your energy at the moment, brother. This shit is so good. I'm That's sure good. that uh, each and every one of you listening to this or, or watching the um, the video format have just taken so much from from Mike. Man, where can uh, where can the listeners and the viewers find you? Oh, Instagram mainly. Yeah. Like, so, you know, I'm not Facebook, but not really much at all. Mainly Instagram, um, so live like Mike. Mm-hmm. One team is the um, Instagram. So if I'm on there, add me. You know, I'm always happy to engage in a conversation for general advice. Um, I know coming up, there was times where I wanted advice, you mm-hmm. know, of people, and it would have, it would have been nice to have a hand. So I'm always big to if someone wants advice, you know, 
please, yeah, get in touch. Mm-hmm. If you're in Melbourne, I'm at Doherty's or Interview Performance. So if you see me in the gym, please, again, come up and say good day as well. Um, but yeah, so connect me through Instagram mainly as well. But I want to thank you, Joe, for having me on, for inviting me out here. Um, you know, I've always been a big sort of, I remember Massive Joe's on eBay. Back in the day, <laughs> I remember. That's I remember old. going to Iron Chest, yeah, in Dandenong, and I said to yeah. Alvin, yeah, I said it's cheaper on Massive Joe's <laughs> <laughs> on my phone. I said so either match the price, or I was, I'm going to buy, from, buy here. from Massive Joe's, and he wouldn't, yeah. so I bought it from Massive Joe's on eBay. But yeah, what you've done, man, for the industry, even with the IFBB, is amazing as well. So thank you. Brother. We all we all draw a lot of inspiration from people like yourself who are looking to again you know put positive energy back into the world because i mean we need more of it that's for sure i appreciate that man we uh you know we we haven't spent a lot of time together just yet but i feel like this is the beginning of us spending a lot more time together and and us doing some some great things mike the one thing that i do ask of the the listeners and the viewers because we create this program we don't run ads or anything it's a it's completely free content and you know i think it's some of the best content uh in the fitness and business space available. Uh, So the one thing that I do ask if you guys have enjoyed this episode and taken some value from this show, whether it's something you can apply practically to help you level up in your life or whether you've just enjoyed the conversation, had a laugh, uh, resonated with Mike's story, is that you share the show. So you can share it person to person, you know, when I ask them whenever they're uh, having a conversation with friends or family and people are talking about what they've, you know, the most recent show they've seen on Netflix or, Definitely. you know, anything they've been consuming, just drop the Fitness Times Business podcast in there. But the best way that you can share is if you are listening right now, just take a screenshot on Spotify or iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're listening, post it in your Instagram story and tag the both of us in the story. Uh, So it's at live like Mike one team and at Joseph Metzel tag us both in the story. And we love seeing those tags and we'll make sure that we reshare them as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Mike, thank you once again. Thank you again. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you've enjoyed until next time. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the fitness times business podcast. Be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure you give us a five star rating until next time. We'll catch you on the flip side.